All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of 1 Peter. In this session, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And this section is continuing Peter's discussion of the excellent way of life that began back in chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. This is one of those places where we have to make sure we don't let the chapter division um, cause us to miss the overall context, right? Those chapter divisions were put in after the time that Peter wrote the letter. And so this is still part of that earlier discussion that began partway through chapter 2. So in chapter 2, Peter discussed in the first handful of verses our identity as God's people in Christ who exist to display the excellencies of God to the watching world around us. Then he began in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, to discuss really what that excellent way of life looked like that would display God's excellencies. And in short, what he says is we must live God-honoring lives in our social or societal relationships. And he talked about our relationship to the governing authorities and what we need to, uh, how we need to relate to them. Then he talked about servants, specifically house servants, to their masters. Well, in this section, he continues that discussion by talking about husbands and wives and how that relationship, too, can be a way of displaying the wisdom and the excellencies of God. And so here he's going to talk about wives first for the first six verses, and then he's going to talk to husbands. And then finally, he'll wrap up this whole section that began in 211 with a general call on how to interact towards all people around us. But we'll save that for another recording. So in this session, we're going to look at Peter's instructions specifically to wives and then to husbands. And notice how the section begins. It begins in the same way. That is our clue that we're still connected to the, the preceding conversation. And so you could almost translate that as likewise, right? What's that getting at? Well, well, it connects to the preceding section. So in chapter 2, verse 13, he says to uh, all of us as followers of Jesus that we all need to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. And then in chapter 2, verse 18, he speaks directly to the servants, and he says to the servants that they should be submitting themselves to their masters with all respect. And so too here. He has the same instructions to wives about submitting themselves. Interestingly, he begins his instruction to husbands in verse 7 with the same connection word, in the same way, or likewise. So even though he doesn't use the word submit there, he conceptually sees his instructions to husbands as linked to what he said to all of us in submitting to governing authorities, as servants submitting to their masters and wives to the husband. And so we'll come back to that when we get to verse 7. But here in verses 1 and 2, he gives a general instruction to wives and a goal of that instruction, a potential outcome that he thinks they can hope for. And then he'll, in verse 3, give more specific instructions about the ways they can do that. So, Let's start uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, with the general instructions to wives. He says this, In the same way, you wives, so in the same way as all of us to governing authorities, in the same way as servants to masters, in the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. 
Now, first, let's just generally describe what he says, and then we'll look at a few of the details. This is an instruction. Notice two wives who might even have unbelieving husbands. That's what he means by if they're disobedient to the word. And so you wives, if you are even married to an unbelieving husband, here's my instructions to you. That's essentially what Peter is giving here in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And his basic instruction, like the instructions in uh, earlier paragraphs, is to submit yourselves. Once again, I think it's a poor translation we have here. Be subject to your own husbands. Um, it's the same word translated submitting yourselves in verse 13 and submitting yourselves in verse 18 is what it should say there. And here as well, in the same way you wives Submit yourselves to your own husband. This is the choice of the wife. I actually think instead of be submissive or be subject, we should translate that what's called middle voice. Submit yourself. You make this choice to arrange yourself uh, under, notice, your own husband. That is, not to every male, but to your husband, your own husband. And the goal of this arranging yourself under their leadership is that they might be won over. Uh, this is the hope that your manner of life, right, that your behavior or anastrophe, we've talked about that word a number of times, your whole way of life and the way you conduct yourself and carry yourselves in, in the home in relationship to your husband, that your whole way of life might win them over to the Lord. Notice that he's speaking to wives who even have disobedient husbands. They're disobedient to the word. That is, they're unbelievers. In fact, according to Craig Keener in his commentary, Romans stereotyped all new religions as immoral. And so Peter's instruction here is aimed at helping them overcome this stereotype. Like, even if they have that stereotype, even if they're disobedient to the message about Jesus, and thus look at you, you and your new religion through suspicious, skeptical eyes, right? Maybe even disapproving eyes. You let your manner of life be such that it has the power to be compelling and win them over. That's the hope. That's the goal. And uh, this has been really the major theme of this whole section, right? Chapter 2, verse 12. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. We're hoping to win some over. Or chapter 2, verse 15, that by being doers of good, you silence the ignorance of foolish people. Well, here... It's the same idea, but stated even more strongly, that you might win them over. You might win them over to your faith. They have this day-in and day-out opportunity in this most really close of relationship to see your way of life. And the goal is hopefully, by your manner of life, you can win them over to it. There is an apologetic component to living good lives and to doing good. And that apologetic component is tell people, see, Maybe I've misjudged this new religion. Maybe I've misjudged Christians. Um, and this is to be done, again, by their anastrophe, their way of life, even without a word. Uh, like, our way of life should be such that it creates a compelling reason to believe in Jesus. And in this case, that's true for wives, right? And that maybe the husband then would want to say, tell me about this faith that you believe in. And you get the opportunity, after winning them over to at least being open to it, you can then share the gospel with them eventually. 
Now, as Peter gives this general instruction, he highlights two aspects of the way of life that they ought to embody. He highlights their chaste way of life. That means their way of life is pure. It is um, clean. That's the idea. So this pure, clean way of life and that their way of life is also respectful. Um, that it is honorable. It's honorable towards the husband. It, it brings honor on the household in town. Remember, this is a shame and honor culture where those are huge categories. And so a wife could bring disgrace on her household or a wife could bring honor to her household. A wife could bring shame or disgrace to her husband or she could bring honor. A wife could speak about and speak to her husband with honor and respect. So your way of life Therefore, should uh, really bring honor, not shame, on the household. Should be respectful of your husband and of your family. Then, in verses 3 and 4, Peter goes on to give some specific instructions for this very kind of life. What are some things that uh, Peter is thinking of that might help in this regard, that uh, make up this pure and respectful way of life? Well, here's a couple things he says you should focus on. Look at verse 3, your adornment. So <laughs> the first thing Peter's going to talk about is your adornment. And he says your adornment must not be merely the external, that is braiding of the hair, wearing gold jewelry, and putting on apparel. So this is one of the specific bits of instruction Peter has for wives in his context there when he writes to these uh, first century Christians living in what is now modern-day Turkey. And not unlike today, the Greco-Roman world of Peter's day was very fashion-conscious. Makeup, hairstyles, jewelry, all of that was really important. Women dressed to impress other women, or they dressed to show their status in society, or they dressed to catch the eye of men. Right? None of this is unfamiliar to us. This was true then, it's true today. Uh, some dressed in showy ways, like ostentatious ways to show off their wealth and their importance and their status. And moralists and philosophers, not Christians, just general speaking moralists and philosophers of the day, had plenty to say about all of this. Well, Peter's comments here are very brief, um, and then he's going to turn to where wives should focus the efforts of their bo uh, beauty. But before he does that, he says, just don't make the focus of your emphasis on your beauty, your adornment, merely external. Like, don't make the focus uh, on your hairstyle. He mentioned specifically braiding of the hair, a very popular hairstyle. Oftentimes, braiding interwoven with like gold, um, kind of weaving through it as a way to display your wealth and your importance and all of that. Don't focus on that. Or the wearing of gold jewelry, gold and jewelry. Um, you know, Peter mentioned in an earlier context that gold doesn't last when he was talking about redemption. So just don't make that the focus of your adornment. Or again, clothes. He talks about putting on apparel. This is the phrase that actually indicates we have to think in terms of merely. It's not like Peter's saying, don't wear clothes. He's saying, don't make that the focus of your adornment. Um, that it's not the thing that we should measure our uh our beauty and our adornment by. That's what he's getting at. So the point is, don't make outer beauty 
the main thing you focus on. Instead, Peter says, your focus should be on your inner beauty and your inner character. So notice verse 4, as he continues the thought, he says, but it should be on the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of good. Interestingly enough, notice the imperishable quality. I mentioned that Peter had mentioned gold earlier, and in that earlier context, he mentioned how gold is perishable, but we're redeemed by the imperishable blood of the Lamb, right? Yeah, similar contrast here between external beauty that is perishable, but that's not where our focus should lie. We should focus on the internal, the hidden person of the heart, that is the inner person, um, our character, he says, and that's imperishable. That's going to last well beyond the fleeting and fading beauty of our external lives. And so, he says to the wives, focus on the hidden person of your heart. That's where your adornment should, adornment should be focused. And that's, again, the inner person. Jesus said that uh, the, the, our behavior flows out of our heart. And so, in that vein here, what Peter is saying is, focus on adorning your heart so that what comes out of it is like Jesus, right? Like what gets squeezed out of your heart in pressure, what gets squeezed out of your heart when life is hard, is stuff that's like Jesus. So focus on adorning your heart. And then Peter mentions specifically two qualities that uh, should kind of characterize this hidden person of the heart. These two qualities are gentle and quiet. And what we need to notice is that these are descriptions of the wife's spirit. That is, her inner person, right? Have a gentle spirit, have a quiet spirit. In other words, we're describing the inner life of the wife here. Uh, so it's not referring to how a wife is supposed to be meek and mild and never saying anything, right? Never having an opinion about anything. That's not the point. It's talking about the character of her inner person, the character of her spirit. Her spirit is gentle. What does the word gentle mean? Well, the word translated gentle means cooperative. It means gracious, not harsh not nagging, not difficult to get along with. Those would be opposites of gentle. Instead of being nagging, harsh, difficult to get along with, she's cooperative. She's gracious. She, she is willing to work with others. Gentle. That's what that word always means all throughout the scripture. And indeed, all of us who are following Christ are expected to be gentle. It's a virtue that we're all called to. We're supposed to put on gentleness. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness. The Spirit produces this in us, not just in wives, in all of us. Jesus himself uh, is described as being gentle in Matthew chapter 11. This is a character trait of Jesus that all his followers ought to have. And so here, Peter's just highlighting that wives, in your relationship to your husband, let this mark that. Let this mark that. Not only that, her spirit is also supposed to be quiet. What does that mean? Well, once again, this is a character trait that all believers are supposed to have, according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 12, that we're supposed to live quiet lives, 
among the unbelievers. And really there in Thessalonians, it's for the same reason, to be a good witness to the surrounding culture around us, just as it is for the wife here. So this isn't distinctive only to the wife. What does it mean then to be quiet? Well, it's the idea of calm, peaceful, harmonious. Once again, this idea of um, not just stirring up trouble, not being a busybody, not being a gossip, not running people down, not being contentious, right? Uh, the picture I like to, to see, to use, to help us understand what Peter is getting at, we're talking about a gentle and calm spirit. Just imagine a, a sea when there are storms. Like Peter was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. He knew about the sea and these storms, and he could describe it what we call an angry sea that's storm-tossed, winds blowing and howling. The sea, huge white caps and waves, boats being tossed everywhere. It's an angry sea. You got that picture. And then the contrast is a tranquil sea. The wind is calm. The sea is glassy smooth, right? Well, that, that's the idea. Peter is really saying to the wives, may your inner person be like that tranquil, glassy, uh, smooth sea so that it is calm. It's not out of control. It's not chaotic. It's not tumultuous. It's not harsh and angry and right hard to get along with. It's glassy smooth. That's what he's calling wives to have. And as I've already said, these are not character traits that are distinctive only for women in the New Testament. These are things that are applied to men and women in other places. And so Peter says, take these a wife and you in your relationship to your husband live this way. He actually says then that these are of great value. They're precious in the sight of God. They're great value to God. Then at that point, Peter gives an example of this from the scriptures. That is from holy women of the past, specifically Abraham's wife, Sarah. So he says in verse 5, 4, he's going to give an example. That's what 4 is kind of communicating here. Let me illustrate this. 4, in this way, the holy women of former times, in other words, women from earlier times in the past that are mentioned in the scripture, holy women uh, of former times who hoped in God, used also to adorn themselves being subject to their own husbands or being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah, the specific one that he calls to mind, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have proved to be her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Notice that phrase, do what is right. Again, this is our continual refrain. If you do what is good, what Peter has advised you to do here, without being frightened by any fear. So he calls to mind holy women, from the biblical past. And specifically, he highlights the fact that, as Peter's called, they've arranged themselves under their husband. Um, this is how they adorned themselves by being respectful and submissive to their husband. And he mentions one specific example, Sarah to Abraham. And notice that he says, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. That is, uh, referring to him in a way that in her cultural time was respectful and was honorable. And so she called him master, Lord. That's the idea of that. And in her culture, and her time, that was a way of demonstrating honor and respect to her husband and about her husband. And wives are expected to do the same thing, according to Peter, today. They're supposed to speak about and speak to their husband in a respectful fashion. In fact, Peter says, you have proved to be her children, that is her descendant, right? You're like her, and thus you're her descendant, if you do what is right, if you do what is good, without being frightened by any fear. This is the exact wording 
in the Septuagint version of Proverbs 3.25. And so if Peter has this proverb in mind, which seems likely in view of the wording here, even though it's a very brief snippet, and if Peter has that proverb in mind, it fits very much with what he says in these verses. Proverbs chapter 3, 25 and 26 says, Do not be afraid of a sudden terror. Do not fear any fear, which is what Peter quotes here, or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Notice the reason there in the proverb not to be afraid. It's because the Lord is your confidence. And that fits very well with Peter's words here. And in fact, Peter picks up a similar theme in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Don't fear the opposing world around you. Fear and trust Christ, right? Set him apart as Lord. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 3, the positive side is hoping in God, trusting in him and in his word and in his care. And that seems to lie in the background here. So when he says, if you keep doing what is good without being frightened by any fear, if Peter has this proverb in mind, which seems likely, then the idea is you put your confidence in Christ. You trust in him. Your husband may think your new belief system is odd or weird and all of that. You arrange yourself under his leadership. You speak about him with honor and respect. You focus on having the character of Christ in your life. And you trust Jesus. Fear him. Revere him. Don't fear what people will think. Don't fear what will happen. Trust Jesus. All right? So that's Peter's instructions to wives in this context of living excellent lives among the unbelieving world. Then he speaks to the husbands in verse 7. And notice that Peter's words to husbands begin the same way, right? In the same way, or likewise. So, like servants to masters, or like wives, husbands have a proper way to relate to their wife. And though he doesn't use the word submit for the husbands, Likewise seems to imply that this, what he's going to say to husbands, is really still a form of yielding or a form of humility that husbands must show to their wife. In fact, Peter will say that husbands are to show their wives honor, just like we're all called to show towards kings and all people. Now, here's the unfortunate thing, however. We're going to look at 1 Peter 3, 7, and that verse has been misunderstood and misused and poor translations have not helped people understand and use that verse properly. And in fact, a poor translation is what we're going to see in the version I am using. So I am reading from the New American Standard Version. Let me read all of verse 7 to you, and then I'm going to give you a better translation of it, and then we'll comment on that better translation and compare it with this translation. But the New American Standard is just really, I don't know what they were thinking in the way they translate this. I normally like the New American Standard for most things, not so here. So here's the way the New American Standard reads in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So that's the way they translate it. Now let me offer a more literal translation 
and then hopefully you can hear the differences between them, and then I'll point out those differences and we'll clarify a few details, all right? So here's a more literal translation. It says this, uh, in the same way, husbands live together with your wife according to knowledge, as with a weaker vessel, assigning her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So did you notice the major differences between the New American Standard Translation and my translation? Uh, the, one of them is there's this phrase in the New American Standard, live with her in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. In my translation, that phrase does not show up. There is no since she is a woman because that phrase is not in the Greek. I don't know where they came up with that phrase. It's not there at all. And it sounds so derogatory. Um, and so that didn't, doesn't help at all. And then there's a few other minor differences, like my translation has live with your wife according to knowledge. They have in an understanding way. And then not only that, they start really a whole new thought with show her honor. And it's actually explaining what it means to live with your wife according to knowledge as a weaker vessel. So let's work out some of these details and try to really make sense out of what Peter is saying here. So the first thing Peter says to husbands is that they, they must live with their wife according to knowledge. Now, Peter doesn't specify what kind of knowledge he has in mind, so it's not 100% clear. But certainly, there is maybe the knowledge of her personality. There's the knowledge of her situation in society that, depending on their social status and all that, her situation in society made her more vulnerable. Right? Like women tended to be a little bit more vulnerable, not have nearly as much clout or status. They weren't as protected. So be knowledgeable of that. Um, there is distinctly Christian knowledge about how to treat someone with Christ-like love. And so Peter's not totally explicit, but he does imply a couple bits of knowledge that are important. Um, one of the things he says about wives is that a wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life. You need to know that so that you treat her the way a fellow heir of the grace of life ought to be treated. He, Peter implies that she deserves honor. So that's knowledge. You need to treat your wife in an honorable way, right? And so it's not like completely specified all the types of knowledge in mind, but there is definitely some things we can figure out both from scripture and from life that here are some of the things we need to know in order to live with our wife the way God calls us to. So husbands are called to live with their wife according to knowledge. And then Peter says, as with a weaker vessel. What's that? What about this weaker vessel phrase? Well, the word vessel is uh, used in a wide variety of ways throughout the New Testament. It's used literally of pottery. Uh, the kinds of pottery that they would use for dishware, the kinds of pottery they would use to store milk or water. It's used figuratively for people, even figuratively for bodies and body parts. Um, and so it's just used in this wide range of ways um, in the New Testament. And what is meant by weaker? Well, again, Peter doesn't specify, but in Peter's culture, women were socially weaker. They were more vulnerable, they didn't have as many rights, and they weren't as well protected. Typically, not always, but typically, uh, a woman is physically weaker than uh, a male. 
Now, Peter doesn't specify. Here's what's really important to pay attention to, though. And this is something that so often gets missed when this verse is referred to or how this verse has been misused. Here's what's really important. Whatever Peter has in mind by weaker vessel, for Peter, it's not a means of showing her, like degrading her or demoting her. It's a reason to uh, assign her honor. That phrase, assigning her honor or showing her honor, is um, not a new sentence in the Greek. It's actually uh, a participle phrase that's modifying living with your wife according to knowledge as with someone weaker. So whatever that phrase weaker vessel means, for Peter, it's a motivation or a cause to show your wife honor. So, to make it um, something lowly and demeaning goes against the very language that Peter uses to describe it. And interestingly, the Apostle Paul uses the same image for all believers in Romans chapter 9. He says, uh, can't a potter make from one lump of clay vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor? And so Paul is picturing there in Romans chapter 9, this idea of a potter taking a lump of clay and from half that lump, he's going to make vessels of dishonor. And what he means by that are vessels for just ordinary everyday use. That's what he means. It's just basic earthenware jars, bowls or whatever that are just kind of common and everyday use. Then there's going to be vessels of honor, vessels that are treated as precious, vessels that have higher dignity, vessels that are given more attention. They're more detailed, they're more beautiful, they're, they're decked out, right? Those kinds of vessels. That's what Paul is describing there in Romans chapter 9. Common earthenware vessels that are just pretty bland and blah, and they're normal. And then you have honorable vessels. Well, guess what? That's the image that Peter has in mind here. They are like vessels of honor, not earthenware, everyday stuff that's just to be treated as blasé and profane, right? No, these are vessels that are to be given prized attention, and they are beautiful and to be treated in such an honorable, beautiful sort of way. And specifically here, they're to be treated with honor because uh, wives are a fellow heir of the grace of life. Um, the wife is a child of God as well. The wife is saved by grace and destined for eternal life and eternal glory, just like you, O oh husband. And so you are supposed to treat her as this vessel of honor in your home and in your relationships and in your life. And then Peter actually warns husbands what happens if they don't do that. Like failure to treat her honorably, Peter says, will hinder your prayers. And scripture regularly acknowledges that certain behaviors can hinder prayers. For example, Mark chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, unforgiveness can hinder prayers. Um, and Peter's actually immediately going to follow this by quoting Psalm 34, which talks about the Lord's ears being attentive to people who do what is right and good, right? Like, so our behavior makes our praying more likely to be hearable to the Lord. And so here Peter says, failure to treat your wife honorably will hinder your prayers. And so this text calls husbands to live together with their wife in a knowledgeable way, to 
treat her wife with honor because she's a vessel of honor in their home and in their relationship, uh, one that's handcrafted by God to be treasured and respected and honored. And Peter warns husbands that if they fail to do that, God may not listen to their prayers. Now, let's end this whole section by just a little bit of reflection. There's tons here for us to think about, actually. Tons where maybe in our own life we need to kind of prayerfully consider what the Lord is saying to us personally about this, right? Um, husbands and the way they treat their wives, such an important thing. Like, do we actually treat her as a vessel of honor, right? Like, do we treat her with that sort of respect and dignity and uh, value in our home? There's just so much for us to think on. But step back at a broad level and just think about marriage and family, the home. Well, this is a key place where our faith must be lived out. And if we're going to be doers of good and hopefully win people over to the faith, one place, a key place that has to happen is at home, in our marriage and in our families. And here the focus is marriage and wives must prayerfully listen to and then obey this text. What does this text say and how can you live that out? Husbands, likewise, must prayerfully listen to and obey this text so that we can live good lives among the unbelieving culture around us, lives that make the teaching about Jesus beautiful to the watching world. And that's the goal. And so whenever we take this text and we misconstrue it, misunderstand it, and use it in ways that's contrary to the, the goodness and wisdom of Jesus, we not only damage our marriages, we damage our witness in the world and our opportunity to display to the world the wisdom and the excellencies of God. So we need to take these words seriously to heart, prayerfully look at them, look in the mirror of the word and say, Lord, how do I need to put this text into practice more and more in my relationship with my husband or with my wife?